you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles, uh, you'll find that on page 1016. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 7 through 11. Beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in the preaching of your word this morning, may you be glorified. Pray that you would fill our brother with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide him into all truth and enable him to speak with power. Father, in the way that we listen this morning, may you be glorified. May we be attentive. May we listen with expectation that by your spirit you will challenge us and you will change us to be more like your son. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. For this year, in 2020, we as a congregation have committed ourselves to certain goals that are intended to help us grow spiritually, that as the Spirit of God empowers us and we pursue these commitments, we will grow. So, things like being committed to um, having two individuals or families we don't know, showing hospitality, even as you just heard, toward one another, uh, having those people in our homes, being committed to Sunday school or growth groups, being committed to our first Sunday of the month prayer meetings, which will happen in two weeks. I know that other people are planning very large festive occasions on that night, and uh, there is no biblical mandate for what time prayer meetings happen. So we will meet in February at 5 o'clock instead of at 7 o'clock. Um, if we can remove an obstacle from you being here, but our goal is still every month to have 75 people here on the first Sunday of the month praying for our congregation, to pray and to share the gospel with one person through the year. For some of you, that's already happening and you're already in that conversation. And for others, you're ramping up to it. You're seeking the Lord's help uh, in that to get started. And then there is the commitment to read the Bible and to pray every day. And to that end, we have produced a few booklets with three different reading plans. If you don't already have one that you use regularly, they are out in, uh, in, in the foyer, in, uh, on the wall out there next to the cafe. Even if you have not started with us, you'd like to join with us or you're new to us, uh, grab one and join, start reading today. But also in those booklets is a membership role, a membership role and some ways that you could pray for people even if you don't know them, just some helps. 
But one thing, whether we know people or whether we don't know people, as we just think of a, a group of people beyond one, we know that someone in the room is suffering. We know suffering happens all the time. We know that some of it makes it to our prayer list, so we know about those things, but other things never make it to that prayer list. Some of it is ongoing and chronic. Some of it is very acute and looking for ways out. And suffering can come with great pain, can't it? With heartache, wrestling, with questions, with uncertainties, often crying out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief in the midst of this. It can come with some of these things, but Scripture assures us that it does come with a promise that God has purposes in our pain, purposes to teach us, to teach us to trust Him, to expose our wrong thinking, our wrong believing, our wrong behaving, and to call us to change and to grow, purposes to make us more like Jesus Christ. Suffering is one of the great tools of God, the sharpest tool in God's shed, if you will, for helping us to see how we are not like Jesus and how we need to change. Now, these are things I've said before, but friends, I wanted to add something to the list. God is not the only one with purposes in your pain. Our enemy, the devil, has purposes in our pain as well. Do you know what he loves to do? He loves to stir up doubts about the character of God. He loves to foster thoughts of revenge if our suffering is because of the sin of another person. He loves to whisper false counsel in our ears saying things like, you can think and say and feel and do whatever you want because you're hurting. All moral obligation is off right now. The devil would even convince us to avoid the church, wouldn't he? Because nobody really understands. Nobody's been where I'm at. They can't possibly help me walk through this. I mean, the opportunities to sin and the opportunities to focus on self fly at us like fiery darts from the bow of the evil one when we are suffering. I believe that's why, as Peter writes to these suffering Christians, he basically tells them to perk up and pay attention to their real enemy. They have human beings who are oppressing them, who are persecuting them, who are throwing them in prison, who are threatening their lives, but Peter does not want them to think that their real enemy has flesh and blood. And so he says to them, just a little after this text that we just read, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. And it seems that in the text that we have, this, this text that we're taking, we're focusing in on verses 10 and 11, but this paragraph is almost like Peter reaching out and taking us by the arm and keeping us from stepping on the spiritual landmine of focusing on self in the midst of suffering. Do you know that's a great temptation in suffering, isn't it? That all thoughts, that all concerns turn inward. And how will we stay safe? Well, in verse 8, he says, keep loving one another. 
Love covers a multitude of sins, meaning keep forgiving one another. Keep loving, keep forgiving. And then in verse 9, he says, don't isolate yourself. Keep showing hospitality and do it willingly. And then, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So even in the midst of suffering, we are to use our gifts to serve. Now that's true anytime, right? I mean, that's not new to any of us. You've been around church long enough, you know you need to serve other people. But it is especially true and especially poignant to hear when we're suffering. Because what happens when we're suffering is we, we, we take the camera of our life, if you will. This is what tends to happen. And we, we, turn, it, we turn panoramic view off and we turn selfie mode on. That's what tends to happen in our hearts when we're suffering. And so we need to hear this morning, whether we are in the midst of suffering or not, we need to hear Peter's teaching, the point being that we must use our gifts to glorify God by serving others. We must use our gifts to glorify God by serving others. Now, we are in the midst of a short series of sermons on what the Bible says about Christian stewardship, being faithful caretakers of what God gives us. Three things in particular are time, which uh, John dealt with last week, and I'm so thankful for him. Uh, It would be remiss to say in the midst of the need for a sudden departure, uh, as I had last week, what a blessing plurality is in our, our eldership. I uh, thank God for these men, and so should you. Um, I mean, John found out Friday night that he was preaching Sunday morning. So we praise the Lord for the way the Lord helped and used him in that sermon. But we're talking about our time our talents today, next week our money. God entrusts us with these, and we must carefully use each as He desires. We must honor God with His gifts, all right? So today we must use our gifts to glorify God by serving others. First thing to take note of here is that our gifts are gifts. Now, if you're from Tennessee, you just say our gifts are gifts. Our gifts are gifts. Our gifts are gifts. It sounds all the same. Our, there is no distinction between our and our. It just all runs together. Our gifts are gifts. All right? Now, that seems very basic, doesn't it? It seems like Captain Obvious is preaching this sermon. You know, I mean, this is, this is what's happening. You're just saying exactly what it says. But isn't it true that we must remember that whatever talents, whatever abilities, whatever intellect, whatever capacities we have don't originate with us. We discover gifts along the way. We should work to enhance the way we utilize our gifts, seeking to become more effective with them. But we can't manufacture our gifts. We don't create our gifts, so we can't take credit for our gifts. They are receive their gifts. There have been a couple times in my life um, when I have been given 
a car and not by my parents. I was not given a car by my parents. I was given a price for the car I would buy from them. <laughs> so, but there, the first time it happened was over 20 years ago when Susan and I moved to Florida. We left Louisville with two operational vehicles. We arrived in Orlando with one. It was quite a trip. And we operated with one for a while, but I was working full-time in ministry, which demanded, you know, flexibility in my hours and all these things, and she was working as well, and we just couldn't figure out how to do the one, so we thought another car would be good. And a man in the congregation heard about what had happened to our second car, and he called me one day, and he said he was looking to sell his Acura Integra. Might I be interested in looking at it? And I said, yes, I would. So he brought it by the church. I looked at it. I drove it. It ran. I mean, I loved it, you know. I had friends in high school who drove Acuras. I thought I was going to be cool here, you know. I'd Moving from the 84 pickup that I was driving in high school to this, I mean, this is quite something. I said, well, how much do you want for it? He said, how about a dollar? I was confused. Nobody had ever proposed that price for a car before that didn't fit in a matchbox case. Uh, so I said, okay. And I, give, I gave him a dollar. We signed the papers, and the, and the Acura was mine. About six months later, I discovered a hidden coin compartment in the car. And do you know what was in, the co in that coin compartment? Four quarters. My rebate. <laughs> the total net cost of that car was zero dollars. I didn't shop for the car. I didn't research the car. I didn't even ask for the car. I don't even remember us praying all that much about a car. We were just trying to figure out how to live with one. So when people rode in it and they liked it and they liked how it looked and they liked how it drove and all of these things and they would compliment the car, I would, great. I didn't decide on anything. It was a gift. I couldn't take credit for any of it. I had received it. Now, you may have never been given a car, but you have been given gifts by God. And that's what the each here in verse 10 means, as each has received. It means each and every. It means no one is left out. The gift here, more literally, is a grace gift or a gift of grace. It's a gift granted by God, by His initiative, by His choice. Your gifts are God's choice, not yours. And... He gives them to us because He loves us and because He wants to give them. Our, our God loves to give gifts to His children. In the New Testament, this grace gift is used a few different ways. It's used of our salvation in Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the grace gift of God is salvation, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's also used of, our, of capacities that are utilized in the church, what we call spiritual gifts. There are sample lists of these in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. 
and it's used of the ministry of an elder. So that when Paul writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. The gift of salvation was not given when the elders' hands were laid on him. That he wouldn't be in a position to be set apart for ministry if that were the case. The gift of the Spirit was not given to him. He wouldn't be set apart for ministry if that was the case. The gift of gifting and teaching is not what comes on Timothy at that moment because he wouldn't be qualified to do the ministry, which he must be before the elders lay their hands on him. So what is the gift? The gift is the ministry itself. Don't neglect the gift of the ministry that God has given you. Now, all of these are given by grace, but in our text, Peter is talking about spiritual gifts, abilities, capacities, talents, if you will. But don't blow past that basic fact. Spiritual gifts are gifts. They're not earned. They're received. They're not determined by us. They're determined by the giver. And as a believer in Jesus, the reason we need to know that is because knowing that helps us to starve our pride when we might boast in our giftedness. Knowing that will also help us to feed our humility when others recognize our giftedness. Our gifts are gifts. Let's go on. Number two, our gifts are varied. We have different gifts, different abilities, different talents, different capacities, all as a result, verse 10, of God's varied grace. So our gifts may differ even within those gifted, that those gifts, the capacity with those gifts may differ, but the giver is the same. So that Paul writes to the Corinthians, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now once Peter talks about that we've been given this by God's varied grace. He goes on to basically give us two categories of gifts. If you look in verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So these are the two broad categories of giftedness, speaking and serving. Again, Broadly, generally speaking, this corresponds to the ministry of elders and deacons in the local church, so that elders lead the way in the ministry of speaking, both in prayer, speaking to God, and in the ministry of the Word, speaking to others. Deacons lead the way in serving in the strength that God supplies. But these are the two basic categories. Now, in the rest of the New Testament, this is teased out, isn't it? And you find in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, you, you see individual gifts are listed, and some of those lists overlap. Uh, and I don't think what the New Testament is after is trying to give us some comprehensive list. Like, we're giving you every, everything you could ever use in the church for others for God's glory. I think it's a sampling list. I actually think this is why things like spiritual gift inventories can come up short in helping us to discover how we might serve the Lord. They may help some, 
but I think they come up short. I actually would want to suggest that people are more helpful in discovering my gifts than inventories. So start just by asking yourself, what am I good at? What, what am I good at? And then, if you're having trouble coming up with something, you know who knows it? If you're married, your wife, your husband. If you have friends, which you do, just look around in your circle. What, what am I good at? What do you see as a place where I am gifted? And I think we'll find, when we ask those questions, that we may find any number of talents or abilities that could be used to serve others in the church. But I think even as we say that, a couple of warnings came to mind. That when we know what we're gifted in, all right, that doesn't mean that we are allowed to neglect the commands of Scripture which may be related to other gifts. So, you may not be particularly gifted in giving. That may just not be that thing, you know. But we are not excused from giving. You may not be a gifted teacher. But parents are not excused from teaching their children because they don't have the gift of teaching. You may not have the be particularly gifted and motivated in showing acts of mercy to other people. Yet the Bible is clear that having been shown mercy, we show mercy. You can't weasel your, we cannot weasel our way out of commandments because a spiritual gifts inventory said I wasn't gifted in that. Well, I'm not a gifted evangelist, so I don't need to share the gospel. Well, this is silliness. So, that is one warning. The second warning is when we recognize that we have different gifts, but then we go to comparing gifts with one another. We may be tempted to envy the gifts of others, to think our gifts aren't as useful as their gifts because I'm not like so-and-so. Or, I can't do this or that. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with this as well, doesn't he? In uh, chapter 12, verses uh, 15 to 20, he's talking about one body and many members, and he uses the physical picture of members of the body to drive home his point of unity. He says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. So, I'm hoping this does not happen to you on your way home today. But if you are driving down the road and there is an arm on the side of the road, you will not point at it and say, look, 
there's a body. You just say it's a part. It's just a part. There is no part of the body that is dispensable in God's eyes. God arranges the body as it is. We function in different ways, and that is good. It is good. We have different gifts, but all of these gifts are given by God on purpose. None of them are useless. Christian friend, listen. Your gift is not useless. Your gift is not something that is relegated to the realm of your vocation. Some things are distinctly spiritual, exhortation, uh, biblical teaching, you know, these kinds of things that, that we just naturally associate with the church. But nothing that you have that's been given by God, whatever that facility, capacity, gifting is, none of it is useless. Now, Peter goes on from here to not just say that our gifts are gifts and that our gifts are varied. He tells us what they're for. In fact, he tells us who they're for. Next, by telling us that our gifts are for others. Now, we just came out of the holiday season, right? And for those of you who are counting, there are just over 48 weeks left until Christmas. (laughs) And some of you laughed, some of you groaned. I mean, I don't know what that's about. Uh, But as we give gifts, there are a couple of different kinds of gifts that we typically give. One type of gift is something where you have, where that the person who receives it is the one who's going to be enjoying it. it. It is meant for them to simply enjoy. And then there are other types of gifts that are given to that person, which they may very well enjoy, but they will also use it to, with others. Others will enjoy it. So I don't even know if I'm going to say this correctly. I'm just glad that I found it. But for Christmas this year, I got Susan something called a charcuterie board. Do you know what that is? No? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you here. There is apparently an art to putting to get together a tray of meat and cheeses and vegetables, all right? And that art is called charcuterie. I don't know if the art is in the slicing or if the art is in the arranging or if the art is in both or if the person who said it's an art even knows what art is, but that's what they say. It's called charcuterie. And the nice wooden board that you would lay out this spread on is called a charcuterie board. Now, Susan was surprised when she opened it. She was excited. She enjoyed it. But she'll use it for others. She'll use it with our family. She'll use it as part of showing hospitality to others. You see what I'm saying? And the gifts that Peter's talking about are like that charcuterie board. They are gifts to be enjoyed, but gifts meant to be enjoyed as we use them for others. We've said uh, among the praise team many times, I mean, this is just one very visible example, that we're very thankful that God has not made the playing and singing of music a drudgery. He puts joy in in the very act of creating and playing and singing. And some of you think of something like that and 
joy, the joy of doing this up here and facilitating praise, it, joy is not the word that you would associate with that, doing that. But if I gave you a list of numbers and told you that I needed to see a trend and I needed you to put together a chart and in boxes and let me know what this trend is, you would just get all giddy inside. You poor, poor thing. You, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> but it, there are gifts that we enjoy as we use them to serve others. But they are aimed for others. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. So once you know what am I good at, what gifts do I have, what talents do I have, what abilities do I have, the next question is, how can I use that to serve someone else? How can I use whatever it is that God has given me to serve someone else? Things listed in the Bible seem very clear-cut. Bible teaching, discernment, leadership, exhortation, mercy, helping, administration, prophecy, giving, these kinds of things. But as we said, there's the types of things that can be used to help others is really multivarious. Let me just list some things. I wrote them down, so I'm going to read them. Accounting, plumbing, music, organization, expertise with technology, business acumen, teaching in general, not just Bible teaching, graphic design, hospitality, legal expertise, planning, creative writing, landscaping, painting, carpentry, baking, and the list just goes on. You look at me and you know people have been serving me with baking for a long time, right? All of you bakers, none of you are physical trainers, obviously, serving me. But all of these things, all of these things, when we bow before God and we say, God, you have made me, you have made me to be good at this. I want to serve you. I want to serve others with this. You see, when we, when we see our gifts in that way, it's a wonderful blessing. I mean, God may have given you these gifts and you have used them to earn a living. He's enabled you to make a living by some of these gifts, which is wonderful. But when we, use, when we see these things as a way to serve one another in the church, we're obeying what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, let me give you a practical way to begin, all right? To begin to use your gifts for others. When you hear of someone in need, seek out and suggest a way that you can serve. I mean, that's just simple, straightforward stuff. But let me tailor that. Try not to say something like this, all right? If there's anything I can do, let me know. Now, why? That sounds wonderful. Doesn't it sound wonderful? Aren't you blessed when people say that? If there's anything I can do, let me know. Well, of course, the heart behind that is a blessing. It's a nice offer, but it often goes nowhere. Why? The person you say that to is often drowning in whatever it is that, that is going on, and they're not really sure how they would even answer that question. 
if there's anything I need. I, I don't even, I, I'm not sure what, what that would look like. Isn't that right, Shirley? When you were helping Dave and walking alongside Dave, and people would love you, and, they, and if, if somebody said to Shirley, if there's anything you need, let me know. Well, Shirley, I'm sure loved the heart that said those words. But there are just times when you're in the thick of it, you can't even think, you can't even think of what you might need. Not only that, when I say that to you, you have no clue what I might be able to do to help you. Isn't that true? So make specific suggestions that you see could be opportunities if someone's walking through a situation like that. So 10 days ago or so, uh, my mother-in-law's property in Mississippi was hit by the tornadoes that ripped through that area. And now a couple of days ago, some kind friends from their church brought them dinner, which is a wonderful thing. But you know what they did while they were there? They offered to connect my in-laws with a group that was traveling around the area, a group of men with chainsaws who were helping to safely take down trees that are partially uprooted and cut up trees that are completely down. And they're just doing this as a free service just to seek to help other people. Now, if those people had brought dinner and said, if there's anything you need, you let us know. I'm telling you, I don't think anything would have happened. But because they came with their casserole and they said, can we connect you with these people who can help take down some of these trees? Well, yes, you can. We would like that. And now, because of the specific offer, service will actually happen. You see how that, you see how that goes? Does that make sense to you? So be, be specific when you offer. But let's go a step further. The gifts you have not only serve the church. Do you know that the gifts you have contribute to the good works that you do in the world so that people will see them and glorify your Father who is in heaven? It's not just that you're gifted, but it is how you use that gifting. It is being gifted and operating with that giftedness in the context of a biblical worldview that makes the difference. There are plenty of gifted architects and engineers and teachers and tech people and designers and all of those things. It is the one who operates their life, their career, their business in a biblical worldview that doesn't make sense sometimes to people and can be used by God. So this book, uh, I just stumbled, I didn't stumble upon the book, I stumbled upon the place I'm going to read to you. It's way back here in the back, but don't be fooled, I haven't gotten that far. I've been looking through it. This is James Davison's Hunter, J. Davison Hunter's book, To Change the World. And through it, he makes an argument for Christians in the world uh, that, I want, that part of our mission in the world is what he calls a faithful presence faithful presence. And this is what he says about our work and our biblical worldview. He says, even if our tasks in this world do not have ultimate significance, that does not mean that the tasks we perform have no spiritual significance. To be sure, sin pervades work, but this does not negate the dignity that comes from tasks well done or the good done for neighbor and stranger alike. And then he gives some specific examples. 
to manage a business in a way that grows out of a biblical view of relationships, community, and human dignity before God has divine significance. Then he goes on to say later, policy pursued and law practiced in the light of the justice of God is a witness to the right ordering of human affairs. Inquiry, scholarship, and learning with an awareness of the goodness of God's created order is a discovery of what is truly higher in higher education. And not least, reflecting the beauty of God's creation in art or music is nothing less than an act of worship. In short, fidelity to the highest practices of vocation before God is consecrated. So you are gifted and you are using your gifts in a number of ways, but you can use them with a biblical worldview in such a way that you reflect the values of the Lord, things that we will never fully achieve in this world, but will be established in the world to come. We're not going to have a fully uh, a world that has perfect justice in it, but we will one day. And in your work, you can be a pointer to what is best and what is coming. It's just one example. Have you ever thought about your job that way? Have you ever thought about your work that way? It's a good thing. Our gifts are for others in the church, and they can be used as part of our gospel witness outside the church. But while we serve others, Peter actually lets us know that there is a higher aim. There is a greater aim than even serving others, that our gifts are for the Lord. The reason we use our gifts to serve, the reason we speak, the reason we serve, the reason we do it all is to glorify God. Look at the end of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, this everything isn't just a general everything. This is an exaggeration to make the point. Sometimes we use those kinds of words that way, don't we? Everything's coming up roses, everything's going wrong. That's not how he's using it in this general, broad brush type sense. This everything is each individual thing. So, every time you obey the Lord and use your gifts to serve others, giving not just your time but your gifts for their good, you are glorifying God. Every single time. You have an opportunity. We have opportunities today, this week, to honor God with the gifts He's given us by serving. The good news is, there is no sign-up sheet in the foyer to do this. You don't need a sign-up sheet. You don't need a committee. You don't need a team leader. You don't need a program. All you need is a desire to glorify God and an awareness of the people around you. That's what you need. Desire to glorify God and an awareness of the people around you that your gifts might come into contact with them. And I will say as far as church life goes, friends, if you stay on the outskirts of the congregation, you will miss opportunities to glorify God. You have to be in relationships with people. You have to know them. 
You have to be known by them. So I would encourage you, if that's kind of been the place that you've been staying, is like on that outer rim. You're not falling out. You're not going anywhere. But you're just not in there. Get outside yourself and get into the lives of others and find ways to glorify God by serving them. I mean, that's the goal of the whole Christian life, isn't it? That whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or use our gifts to serve the church or use our gifts to witness to Christ in our workplace or whatever we do to do it all to the glory of God. You see, our gifts are from God. And we use our gifts. The capacity to speak and serve comes through God. And in the end, all the glory that is stirred up for what happens is to God, from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. We must use our gifts to glorify God by serving one another, which can only be done, Peter says in verse 11, through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' ministry, do you know what He did? He spoke and He served. He spoke the oracles of God without error, and He served in the strength supplied by the anointing of the Holy Spirit which came down on Him at His baptism. Jesus never failed to glorify His Father. Never failed. So that in John 17, He can say, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus is the example of what it means to glorify God in this life. But do you know what our problem is? We can't do that. My guess is even if we look back on our Christian lives now, we will think of opportunities missed. We will think of things we should have done and we didn't do. We will think of times we should have spoken and we didn't. None of us are going to get to the end and on our own merits look at us and say, hey, I did everything you gave me to do, Lord. But Jesus is perfect in this. And we tend actually to use our gifts for ourselves, for our glory, our fame, our purposes. This self-orientation is part of what the Bible calls sin and we're liable to judgment for it. But the good news is that Jesus isn't just a good example of serving others. He didn't just serve those He encountered in His earthly ministry. Did you know that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has served you? He came not to be served, but to serve and to do what? How did He serve? To give His life as a ransom for many. By giving His life on the cross, He served us. Our sin was laid on Him and He paid the price for it. He endured the wrath of God for all who would turn from their sin and trust in Him. He was raised on the third day, assuring us that our salvation, that our sin, sorry, has been fully dealt with and that our eternal hope is secure. Friend, you will not gain merit by using every breath, every minute, every gift, every talent, every dollar to serve God. You will gain zero merit with God by serving Jesus. You will gain merit with God by being served 
by Jesus, by Him having given everything for you. And that is His offer to come to Him, to be served by Him, to lift up and see on the tray full forgiveness of sin, a right standing with God, eternal life, sweet eternal fellowship with the one who made the universe. That's what Jesus offers to serve you even today. Would you be served by him? Would you turn from your sin and trust in him? If that is your desire, you want to talk more about that, I would love to do that after the service. Any member of this church would love to do that. Whatever friend may have invited you would love to do that. And Christians, as those who are trusting in Christ, those who have been served the grace gift of salvation, the Spirit of Christ is within you, enabling you giving you the ability to live for the glory of God, something you could not do on your own. He strengthens us to do it. So while it is true, we must use our gifts to glorify God by serving others. Friend, know this, that because of the Spirit's presence in your life, with the Spirit's help and by the Spirit's power, you can glorify God by using your gifts to serve others. You have received a gift. Each of us has. And you must and can use it for others through Jesus Christ so that you will be a good steward of His varied, varied grace and bring glory to Him. Let's pray together.